about every child needs somebody rooting for them. Every every child needs a champion. And she's quite honest and she's saying, you know, you won't like everybody that you teach. They can't know that. So I think that's the nugget. Finding a way for them to feel that warmth in schools. Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. And this week, my guest is Linda Mohara. Linda is a teacher, assistant principal, and a coach at Life Tally Coaching. Please subscribe and share. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information and more episodes, please visit andreasplendori.com. The title tune is Paralyzed by Nevada. So listen, thanks Amina for coming to do this. Um, and uh, as you know, you probably listened to a couple of them. Uh, they're very much just a conversation. They're very much about um, me trying to understand what everybody does in terms of coaching and also for all of us to to create more of a platform of uh, reliable people, people that do it for the right reasons as opposed to uh, I don't know, try to sell you something, you know, become a coach in 24 minutes, um, you know, give me $500, thanks very much. You know. <laughs> so I might, talk, I might talk to someone like that as well at some point, but at the moment I'm quite keen to really speak to the people that uh, have a real passion for it. And, uh, and, and just, I think we're all doing it in a different way and we're all approaching it in a different way and for different reasons. So, that's that's basically the genesis of this podcast. So I, if I may start with you, Linda Hohara, yeah. I'll uh, just tell me a bit about you because we know each other from studying together. But that's really knowing each other is probably a stretch. We kind of seen each other on Zoom a few times. So tell me a bit more yeah, about yeah. you. And and it's all been positive, which is the good news. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my, my main job, my role really is a secondary school teacher. I've been a teacher for 23 years. And I think along the way, I think now when I look back, I think I've also been coaching. I just didn't know that's what it was. And there's something amazing about the classroom. The, the challenge, I think, eventually presented itself to me that my subjects are obligatory. So I teach French here in Ireland. It's a, an obligatory subject to do a foreign language. So in a sense, they've chosen French, but they've only chosen it over another language. And I lived abroad for years and I taught English. And so the subject I've always been teaching has been one the students have had to do. So I think somewhere along the way, I became hungry for a taste of something where the person was there in a more voluntary capacity. So I think that's perhaps how I found my way into coaching. So I do now say I'm a teacher and a coach, and I'm very careful to say a full-time teacher, part-time coach, because I have the luxury of not being under pressure around coaching. It's... um, I would never say it's a hobby because for so many people, it is their proper source of work. And there's a sense in which I'm challenged by if I'm not making any money, it's a hobby. So there's a part of me that feels it's a profession, too. It's just a, a low pressure, I suppose, profession. But the hunger to be more and more in it is is great. And that's if you're asking me now who I am. I'm somebody who's gently navigating the territory around my full time role and my part time role because I love both. OK, but let me go back a little bit to uh, the 23 years of, of teaching because it's, 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 it's almost a lifetime. And, it's, 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 and I always found teaching to be almost a vocation. And I'm not sure if you agree with that. How did you get into teaching and why? Um, I don't ever think there was a conscious decision. I'm the eldest of five. And bizarrely, I remember being very young and playing, you remember the, the records, the black vinyl I remember playing my parents vinyl and 
pretty much forcing my younger brothers and sisters to sing along. Now, I presumably had started school. I presumably seen a primary school teacher do this, but I clearly remember doing it. And when I didn't have humans, I remember doing it with teddy bears and dolls, which sounds pathetic. But I think there was a sense in which, of course, it was the first job I saw outside the home. But I actually think it's one I really wanted. So I remember wanting to teach more than anything and only that. And even even the college I chose, it's a place that, that used to be called Matter Day Institute of Education in Dublin. It was a teacher training college. So you could do your four year course concurrently. So you didn't have to do the HDIP, what's now called the, the Master's in Education. Um, so I even went for a college where I came out a teacher. I didn't study my subjects and then do the, tra- the teacher training. I did them to teach them. That was the idea. So it was always there. No conscious decision, but a real a real hunger to do it. So and I, I don't object to the word vocation at all. To me, it absolutely is. There are lots of people who do kind of say, ah, no, not really. It's a job. But it, I think the people who truly enjoy it, I think perhaps they do agree that it's a vocation. And when you say that for the vocation, because again, I'm really curious about that. Um, when do you mean, what do you mean? What do you mean by vocation? There's a, a Japanese concept that I love called ikigaya. It's a person's reason for getting out of bed in, in the morning. And for me, if the thing that you spend your day is doing overlaps with enough of your reason for getting out of bed in the morning, for me, that brings it somewhere into the realm of, of, of a vocation. So I know I'm not entering into a dictionary definition of it at all. But for, for me, I think that's it sure. when it's when it's your reason for getting up and heading out. Because for me, really, it's people. That's the overlap between teaching and, and coaching, yeah. for sure. Um, I suppose the human being, the human beast that you get to encounter new. And it's not even the same you every day. You know, the person that I might know very well presents differently on a different day for different reasons. So... It's really all about the the people, I think. Yeah, and I remember when I first met you uh, in, uh, in during the course, and we were talking about, uh, and you mentioned we were teaching. The first thing that came to my mind was like, I'm passionate about teenagers. I'm passionate about the youth, and I'm doing some work in that area uh, because because I remember very clearly what I was like as a teenager, <laughs> and uh, and all the wonderful things I had in my head that was going to change the world. But I don't know if if I was given a, the option to change the world, but by a couple of um, teachers that are still to this day, uh, the people that I keep reminding myself, oh, he said that at the time. And this we're talking about, you know, 35 years ago. And I still remember what they told me. Um, so that teacher, tutor, coach, it's it's kind of, it's it's all one, right? And how... Yeah. I mean, that power that you have, because you have a power um, with the kids that you're teaching. First of all, is he doing secondary school or are you always on secondary or? Yes, always secondary. At the very beginning of my career, I had, I think, three years where I was in primary and in secondary. So I could literally go from the five-year-olds to the 17-year-olds within 10 minutes, the break between classes. And, and that in itself was massively insightful because I respect primary teachers all the more for having like, your personal space is genuinely compromised. You know, social distancing now in the current climate, it's something that is genuinely uh, a problem. And I say that affectionately in primary school because they'll pull on your knee. If they only get to your knee and they want you, they'll pull on your knee until you bend down. So, yeah, I've, I've had three years experience in primary school, but it's, it's secondary, really. So as a teacher and now with your knowledge of coaching, but let's say with the teaching for a second, how over the 23 years that you've been teaching um 
did you see much of a change? Have you seen much of a change in this, the way the curriculum has changed or the way it's, it's presented? Because I, I, I have a... I have a bit of a problem with schools and the way that the, the, the stuff is taught. <laughs> I have a big problem with it, but that's, I'm not a teacher. So I'd love to know from the expert. You tell me. <laughs> well, I also have a big problem with it. And it's probably more dangerous for me to be on the record saying that than you. But I think a lot of it, Andre, comes down to um, theory and practice as well. So in, in terms of how things have changed, certainly there's been a massive shift globally around the students taking ownership of their learning. That's definitely something that's evolved massively in my time in, in the career. And some countries have moved faster than, than others with that. And here in Ireland, I think it's something because of the perception of teachers that goes back, obviously, like this is a culture thing. It goes back such a long way um, to, we say, bring the concern to the teacher. And the, the concern gets resolved in a sense, in the student at a certain point, we have to step back and let them at it. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a perception here of us being overly involved in the students' mm -hmm. learning at, at massive cost to the student and to the teacher. Um, so that's that's really where the evolution, I think, has been in, in my time in, in the career anyway. Okay. So when did you decide to get into coaching? I know you said you're, you're kind of you probably have been doing coaching for 23 years <laughs> without knowing the, the, the tools and the models and so on. But when did this spark come? Yeah, I got a, a leadership role in my school uh, almost two years ago now, 18 months ago. So I, it definitely, there's no question that I first got into it from a personal development point of view, because I recognized suddenly that I was in a different position in relation to my colleagues. Um, so the hunger was definitely for personal development. I totally underestimated how much I would want to use it and, and be active. So inner, inner um, learning, I suppose, around me was the, the propeller, but I got sucked in extremely quickly. So that it was. So I, I think I was meant to start the course only in October of this year, and that's been a kind of a comic twist in my life as well, where. Um, I was going to do it in the university here in Galway over the weekends. It was going to take nine months and that was due to start in October. And then the opportunity came up to do the intensive day course in April. And it fell beautifully around my school commitments because we had moved out of the school environment into the online environment. So the two didn't clash at all, except that it was an additional time, I suppose, demand on me. So bizarrely, I had finished the course months before I was even meant to start it. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and then I found myself on a second course with you over the summer. And that, that's what I mean by getting sucked in. And I'm currently doing the mental health and well-being course. And sometimes okay. I scratch my head and think, yeah, I have got a full-time job. Life is busy. And yet, won't surprise you to hear my top um, value in the VIA is love of learning. So I rationalize it all with that, that I'm just feeding a very genuine um, value that I hold very, very dear. And I'm just nourishing it, really. Yeah, that's great. I think that is my top one too. And uh, I was writing things down the other day, and, and I did say, I, I think I have to do this. It's not, it's not a choice. I have to do the things I do. But you got sucked in. Um, tell me about that being sucked in. Describe it to me. I describe it to because again, and I said this on this podcast several times. I'm, I'm the most skeptical person I know. I really am skeptical oh. about things until I really understand them. And coaching was like, really, seriously, give me a break. You know, what is this coaching all about? And I got sucked in in a really positive and nice way. But I'd like to know how you got sucked in and what, what was it like? 
Yeah, I think the the sucking in was that definitely it it brought me something I think that I was hungry for. So while I wouldn't in any way speak ill of of the teaching profession, everybody knows that there are tensions there. There's a lot of needs to be met around parents and students, the unions, for example. Like in, in the media this week, there's this heavy push of is it safe to reopen schools? Now, just discussions like that are a real drain on, on me because everyone has a view on it. Everybody's talking about it. Some people are more knowledgeable. Some are more powerful. In a sense, discussions around that are futile because we're not at next Monday yet. All we know is that the schools this week are closed and things will evolve and change as the week progresses. So that's just quite a safe example, I suppose, of where there's a lot of energy being pulled in different directions on a topic. When I found myself in in the PLE course, and like I said, it was a day intensive. So it was two days a week for six weeks. Judith was our tutor, um, Judith from Kingstown. And the energy in the room was all going in the same direction. Even if we were perhaps sharing different views and different experiences and coming at it from different perspectives, everything about what we were talking about was constantly moving forward. And this was such a revelation for me because a lot of the things in education and a lot of the reforms involve discussions where things are being pulled in different directions over a period of time or a meeting. And I don't feel very much further forward at the end of it. So I think the strain that I've been feeling in one aspect of my life, which I genuinely love, um, was suddenly not as heavy because I could contrast it with something that was massively powerful and forward moving in the form of, of the coaching. So it might be a little bit abstract, but that, that's definitely the answer. Whether I'm articulating it well enough or not is, is another thing. No, no, absolutely. And it, it is. And, it, and it, it, I understand it uh, clearly. It's, it's the positive. It's the, as you say, the moving forward. And I think I remember talking to you about it uh, during the course, but that, that, and we will get to your, to, your, um, to your current coaching practice. But before that, I'm still curious about how much where you're able to bring that into and I know it's been a funny year in terms of hmm. working remotely etc but you also vice principal am I correct yeah assistant principal so there's assistant the principal and the deputy Sorry. and then there's there are seven in our school and there's 600 students for a lot of schools the assistant principal role that I have is a year head okay so year head still still you have a kind of bird's eye view on on certain parts aspects of your your school what do you say 600 pupils Yes, yeah. It's quite a big school there as well. So, um, But were you able to bring that, because as you say, you get so things really powerful. You, you see the benefits immediately from the moment you start the, the coaching conversations. Were you able to bring it into your classrooms or, or with your colleagues? Uh, is that works for you? Yeah. So the like I said, it was probably in the classroom a bit anyway, but I had a different set of skills around articulating it or um, maybe being able to push it a little bit more because we we know from from coaching the client is where the client is and you're you're looking for forward of course but there it isn't from pulling on the coach's part it's such a gentle process in some ways even though it's very powerful so I think I was better equipped um to to bring the pupils forward and articulate sometimes I would even share perhaps something from the coaching course, not in any formal tool sense or anything like that, but I might let something sit there in the room for them to think about instead of explaining at length. So definitely it was probably more powerful in, in the classroom. In terms of the school, we're a Jesuit school and the, the ethos in our Jesuit school. And again, I talk, you know, there's a difference between theory and practice, but I'm so lucky that one of the pillars of our ethos is striving for excellence. Well, that sits 
perfectly with the coaching. Being a person for others is something that's so, uh, again, it resonates um, in coaching. So I'm very lucky that the ethos of our school is actually one that shares a lot of the values that we're using in, in coaching. So in that respect, it has been easy. My, my role as assistant principal is school improvement. It's a school self-evaluation process. So we're looking for areas where we can do better. We celebrate the successes, but then we identify areas where we can do better and work on them. So again, the overlap is magical. So I've, I've definitely been able to use it a lot, but it's a subtle use. You know, it's not, I'm conscious too of the, I'm, you know, we know that people can't take a hat off. You know, you change rooms, you change scenarios and you, you need to be, I'm not a teacher when I'm here at home and I don't bring the coaching as much into mm. school, perhaps on the surface and in the articulating it sense, but it's very definitely there in a subtle way. So I've used it massively. And of course, in terms of, of colleagues and getting colleagues on board with initiatives that I might be driving in the school improvement area, the skills that I have have made it much easier to get people on board. Brilliant. Okay, well, let's get to to um, your newfound passion stroke uh, business, uh, part-time business, which is um, the coaching. Tell me about how you set it up and um, what are you hoping to, to, to get out of it and how are you progressing? I know it's early days, but you, you're really, you've started, you've, you hit the ground running with workshops and clients, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me, tell me a bit about that, that journey. Yeah, so the... Uh... I think it was only on the first or second day of, of the PLE when I was out walking and I came up with this idea of Life Tally, which, as you know, now is is sort of the brand or the name. And Tally is our dog. <laughs> and I think it probably takes 90 seconds in a conversation with me before Tally comes into the conversation, because in it, while I'm a totally rational person, I do perhaps have a slightly irrational devotion to to her. Um, and I just thought, you know, in politics, we hear about tallies and total all the time. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, ultimately, life is something where perhaps under the surface, we're constantly evaluating it. And a lot of things that we say, we are actually placing a sort of a value on something that we can't measure or we can't easily calculate. So perhaps in a very good way, that was my downfall, that I came up with this life tally thing within about 24 hours of starting the course, and it never really left me. And suddenly I found myself on a photo shoot with Tally and Jeff, my husband was there as well. And we're doing a photo shoot for a website. And then I have a website. So in one beautiful way, I suppose the fact that there were an awful lot of things I couldn't do because of the COVID restrictions, I found myself building something new almost without realizing it. And like I said, one one thing almost led to another. So for me, it actually, the concept behind the business insofar as there is one, it is very much, we all have a life. We're all actually sort of evaluating it without realizing it. And for me, it's all about more formally taking a pause and evaluating it because we can all have, and there is a little cliche attached to this, we can all have a better tomorrow. We're not going to have it if we don't in some way strive to have it. So for me, the key is taking a moment because there are so few moments. And you started with, um, with uh, you started off with a couple of workshops and you just, um, just a great idea. Uh, tell me about the, the workshops and how you, you structure them. And, and, and again, what is the purpose of that? What is your purpose of, of, of the workshop? Yeah, so for, for me, I have a gentle obsession with time and energy. I just think that we put an awful lot of um, emphasis on what we say and what we do. And they're driven, actually, by how we spend our time and our, our energy. So I think there's a kind of foundation focus that we sometimes lack dialogue around. 
And if I think, for example, of if, if I have a bad class at school and if I bring the bad class into the break time room where other people who haven't had a bad class are sitting really happily, you know, there's a, an energy being brought by me into a context that actually doesn't need it at all. It's not at all beneficial to the coffee break for me to rant about my bad lesson. Mm-hmm. And if I brought home you know, frustrations around what the students hadn't done to Jeff and our dinner conversation was hindered. I'm, I'm genuinely really preoccupied sometimes by how we pick up an emotion in one place and it affects our energy and we carry it needlessly to other places. And this, for example, is something where I think if we stopped and we thought about it, we actually would make changes really quite rapidly because I, I am into that kind of instant progress. People are busy. So for me, that, that's one big aspect of, of the workshop, where our time and energy output is going and what the return on investment is like. Very good. Very good. And then, so w- with the clients you've been working with so far, um, tell me what, is, um, what type of clients are you attracting? Because again, it seem to be, um, we all seem to have a, uh, um, and that, that's what I found with with the coaching, which I really like. It's it's not me going out looking for Linda to work with me. It's Linda coming to look for me because she thinks that I'm the right person to talk to. And so obviously you attract certain people. Who, who's coming to you at the moment so far? Oh, okay, so this is, in, in a way, I'm, I'm going to slightly duck the question by saying the workshops enable me to reach more people while my time is very limited. So the way in terms of, and I, I almost don't like calling it a business because I think the safety of the classroom means that business has felt very away from my life, but it, it mm. is a business. Like I said, if you're not making money, it's a hobby. And mm. I have relatively limited time. I hate saying that too, because we all have the same number of minutes and hours every day. So it's not limited. It's, it's only limited by what I choose to, yeah, to put yeah. into it. But um, so for me, the workshops are a way of meeting more people and bringing perhaps the coaching thinking and benefits to a greater number of people while my own time is, is restrained. And it's still intimate. It's sort of six or eight people is the ideal for me for a workshop. Um, the people that I've, I've coached, because I have in terms of one-to-one clients I've probably had let's say under 10 something around eight or or 10 and a lot of that work has been pro bono and I'm quite keen on the pro bono aspect of things because it allows me to and I say this positively it allows me to meet people that perhaps won't be attracted by the workshop so the workshop is for busy people and there's there's a certain irony around a lot of the people I'm trying to target don't have time for the workshop (laughs) so this presents an absolutely brilliant challenge (laughs) because I think when I get them there the benefits are definitely there. Um, I've done, I think I've done the workshop now four four times in, in total, a couple of practice runs and then a, a couple of proper events. And the feedback, thankfully, has been absolutely brilliant. And people have been very honest about the ways in which I can tweak it for greater benefit, because while it's in, in my head and my house, it's only so beneficial to the client. So it's, it's growing as a direct result of me taking the leap and putting it out there. My next challenge is definitely going to be getting the busy people who don't have time for it to come to it because the the time saved, I suppose, will become clearer after, but I have to get them there first. But the the, the pro bono work, I really enjoy that because it, it makes for a much more diverse canvas. Those people in a sense are, are not by definition busy because they've come to it for some different way. And it, it allows me, I suppose, to get insights into stories that are very different to mine because mm. it's all about them. Yeah, and, and I think the pro bono is great because uh, pro bono, some, sometimes people think pro bono is free, but pro bono from the Latin, you know, for the good, 
and so it is for the good and, and that's the way i look at my pro bono work and uh, and it's been interesting to see how some of the people i've worked with um have genuinely blossomed and you know and, it, and it's great because it, it's um you know it, it almost you almost find uh find other soulmates in this world you know through this this business i know i know it's a business but it's uh, it's really interesting but tell me about um I'm just, I'm just because I'm so passionate again about teenagers and all of that. But how, if you if you if you had a magic wand and you were given the, you know, the, the, your school came to you and said, Linda, you're the best coach we know in our area. Now put a coaching system for the school uh, because we need these guys to, to to have a different approach. You know, we need the teenagers to 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 have a better life. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's all about career coaching. But it's specific for 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 teenagers and how they get through the CAO, et cetera, et cetera, conversations with teenagers. And I'm doing it for my own personal things with my two teenage kids. But what, what would you do? Would you actually create? Um, would you introduce a coaching um, system within your school if you had the choice, or any school? It doesn't have to be your school. You see, I th- I think the first thing, and I I didn't know this until I myself did the the training. So much of the coaching is self-awareness. So I think the, the very, very first gift that we can give young people is creating the kind of circumstances and the kind of culture that we encounter when we're training to be coaches, because so much of that starts off with looking at ourselves in order for us to be as good as we can be when we're with our clients later, when we've qualified and, and gone through the course, we have to do a lot of looking inward first. So I think there's an the canvas is already there on which we can do that. Well-being is massive in schools at, at the moment. And we've had courses like CSP and SPHE and well-being has even been the name, the, uh, the word put on a certain number of hours that we have to have done in, in the junior cycle at the moment. So the canvas is actually there on which to put it. And I think it, it is a self-awareness. That's where the opportunity is, for sure. If I, if I were given the opportunity, I would say creating material around them knowing themselves better because that's where the blossoming will will come from so so much around school is um the focus on what they can't do and there's a I'm trying to think of her name I think it's Rita Pearson there's a great TED talk about every child needs somebody rooting for them everyone every child needs a champion and she's quite honest and she's saying you know you won't like everybody that you teach they can't know that so I think that's the nugget finding a way for them to feel that warmth in schools and, and that's what coaching is all about. The unconditional positive regard that we hear so much about in our courses with Kingstown College, that unconditional positive regard needs to feature in our schools. And in, in that talk, I'm pretty sure her name is Rita Pearson. She talks about the child that got two right. That's and right. she's celebrating the two that are right. And that's the child's right. like, I got 18 wrong. And she's like, well, you're not all bad if you got two right. That's the essence of it. Where is the good? Because when we find the good and we nurture the good, that's where the growth comes from. And I think too many young people discover that late. Like Too many people have said to me the last few months, I wish I'd discovered coaching earlier. And they're adults. You know, I'm in my 40s and I can honestly say I wish I'd discovered it earlier. No, and I totally agree. And I, I can't remember if it's Rita Pearson, but she, had a, she passed away, unfortunately, but she had a fantastic success in the Bronx. I think she was, um, the schools in the Bronx. But, but it, it, that's what I... Again, I, I'm looking at my uh, the, the, the difficulties that teenagers have at the moment, and I always have, 
you know, what am I going to do in my life? Or, you know, blah, 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 the usual things. But it, as you say, is awareness is getting over that anxiety and getting over the idea that you can do more. You can, you know, and we, you know, we say to our kids all the time, you know, you, you can do the best you can, you, you know, you, you can do more, but, but then they're in school and then the French teacher goes over and she puts a, you know, a red mark over and says, well, what's that all about? So, but, you know, it, it, and it's difficult for you to, 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 to do both, to say, okay, well, you know, you didn't really study here. That's pretty, pretty rubbish. But, you know, what's going on in your life? And I know you can't do that with 30 or 20 kids. I don't know how many kids are in the class, but, uh, yeah. but, uh, but you know. You actually can, though, and it's comical. One of one of my favorite lines in class, and it gets the same shocked reaction every single time, is, um, and it, it lightens the mood. I sometimes say, you know, if if I had, God forbid, if I had a heart attack or a stroke in class, it's rarely the brightest student in the class that will help save my life. It won't be the student who's brilliant at my tests. It will be the student who has a different social sense, a different, perhaps, emotional intelligence. And they, they just freeze when I say that. And it, they freeze because schools are too much about the academic achievement. And the person that will end up saving my life is not the person who's acing my tests. It's different qualities. And, you know, Andrea, the message that I'd love to get into schools and I'm, I'm smiling inwardly here at how much we're talking about school, because I now see that I'm totally hoodwinked. It's the school side of me that you're interested in, as well as the coaching side um, in this conversation. But everyone brings something to the table. And that's that's the message that the kids need to, to hear. Like my, my greatest fear is that I'll uh, become old sounds wrong, but I don't feel after 23 years that the gap between me and the students is compromising our relationship something that I genuinely would hate to see happening because it might compromise what they're getting from me and it might compromise my well-being is if I felt I had aged beyond what I can bring into the teenage realm because we, we have up to 30 in, in a class. 30 in, in my school is quite unusual. It's, it's always in the 20s. Um, but you, you need a lot of energy um, for that. And, you know, the age gap grows. Some age gaps don't change. Whatever the age difference is between us, it's constant. The age gap between me and my students is not constant. <laughs> Never thought of that way, actually. No, and I, and I, it, you're probably right. I'm I'm, I'm interested in the, in the teaching side of it because I know you're a good coach, and I know that, and I know your 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 clients would be delighted to have you. But I, I think the power that you have as a teacher, you know, you can work with with me as a, I mean, can be your client, and you can help me through my career. But the power you have in your class, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And it's fantastic to know that, that you have your self-awareness as improved, as increased. And then all of a sudden, you're, by, by definition, your, your kids will, have, uh, will, will benefit from it. So that's really it's, it's, it's where I'm coming. And I'm just really interested in people more so than, uh, than the, the actual. Andrea, I meant to <laughs> Don't worry. I wasn't, I wasn't in teacher mode telling you off. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, lo- I never thought of that. That's really interesting. That your age, the gap between you and the teacher and the students grows all the time. I never thought of that. Um, wow. Well, that's that's interesting. So, okay. Uh, so the coaching is great. So you, you you're doing another course, which is um, the mental health. That's uh, how's that going? Yeah, it's going great. We've we've only had um, two days of it all already. But I think what I'm one of the many things I'm passionate about. Um, I've encountered, not personally, but I've encountered many people who have been through the mental health services. And the number of people who say, for example, 
oh, I was let out too soon, for example. So I wasn't fully ready when I was released, we'll say, from the mental health um, services. That really strikes me because I feel that if those people are ready, what they need is that positive, hopeful encounter. And I can see so much room there. We're, we're really working with a recovery to discovery. The person has found their way through recovery and they're looking to discover something new. They're ready. And I just think that it's the perfect canvas. Um, and, and I think as well that there are people perhaps who are in the services longer than they need to be. And if they had that stepping stone, if they had a way out, so there's, there might be a little bit of naivety, perhaps, around the way I'm, I'm looking at it. But I just I see it as something where there is something phenomenal, which is coaching and a place that's doing phenomenal work that can only be enhanced by coaching. That 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 gave me the hunger to to do the third. But really, I had to. Well, comically enough, I wasn't sure whether I do corporate well-being or mental health and, and well-being. And I had a lovely conversation with Paula, who we both know. And uh, it, it became pretty clear that at that point in time in, in the summer that the corporate well-being course was was right. And I'm absolutely confident that her parting words in the phone call were, and I'll see you one day on the mental health and well-being anyway. And I came off the phone to Jeff and I said, God, that woman's good. You know, she, she thinks she'll have me for the third one. When we were having a conversation about which one, she was right. <laughs> But, you know, look, you are very passionate about it and you are doing it for the very right reasons, which is it's, it's makes makes it all very most important. You know, you're, you know, and it, it will become a, a very interesting business for you, whether it's part time or whatever, an hour a week, whatever you, you'll decide to, to, to give to it. But it'll be 100 percent of of, uh, of your capability, which is uh, it's fantastic. So tell me, um, just before I let you go, um, if you were to suggest a book, and it doesn't have to be about coaching, by the way, any old book that you you would say, Ants Dan, that's the book, go off and read it. It's well worth it. What would it be? Interestingly, um, I, I think the lady's name might be Kate um, Murphy. And it, it's very difficult for me to choose one now. But um, it's called You're Not Listening. And I think it's it's such a phenomenal insight into the depth that's required to be truly listening. And it's actually quite a long time since I've read it. Being asked this reminds me that I must go back and touch base with it because I'm pretty sure I'd read it before I even did the, the coaching course. But it's, it makes sense of such simple things. So, so many of our interactions are perhaps not working for a relatively simple reason and something that's quite easy to, to solve. And listening is underrated. The importance of it is underrated. So, um, while I'm while I'm suggesting it, it's actually quite hard for me to justify the suggesting because it's one I need to touch base with myself. But it's it's a simple thing that we're doing all the time, and that perhaps we underestimate the power of, and we certainly underestimate the positive impact of when we're doing it even better. And it, it's something we can all work on. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not listening, but look, I'm I'm an avid reader. I think that books are such a great source of nourishment, and especially for people who have love of learning at the top of their values. So I'm I'm going to commit to that one but partly because I need to revisit it myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. I'm the same. So that's why I'm using this vehicle for, to get new, new suggestions for new books, because that's, then I go off and, and buy them and read them. But uh, that's it, really. I think, um, um, yeah, I don't have any more questions to ask, unless you want to tell me any, anything else in your head. Do you want to tell me about it? Or are you happy enough? Um, not especially. I suppose the um, one thing that has influenced me heavily in the COVID um, era and I'm, I'm conscious of it again in this um, conversation my own hearing isn't particularly good 
um, I have a, a, a very severe, a permanent and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, irreparable um, problem in my left ear. And there's something so interesting about encounters like this because they they create the possibility for it not to be an obstacle. And, and sometimes when you're in an environment that's quite noisy, it can actually be difficult to interact totally normally. So not, not for the first time, I realise how uncomplicated it is to be in this interaction because that isn't compromised. And it, it was actually very much in my head while we were having the conversation. And I suppose m- mentioning that you're not listening is what has sort of reminded me of how easy it is to listen when the conditions are, are right. And in, in my case, it happens to be that the physical conditions have to be right. But I think m- mentally and in terms of engagement and concentration, if the conditions aren't right, it's harder for the good to come out of it. So it's it's sort of there in my head as a result of the book that that we mentioned. Like I've read so many books recently. I have no idea actually why that book happens to be the one I plumbed for. It just it just shows you when you're not anticipating the question. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's really interesting because that's one thing I absolutely love and um about the coaching and and this conversation and the, the podcast I've been doing for years now that it's it's just you and me. There's no distractions. It's just it's really is there's no real agenda so it's just teasing out a conversation and uh, and you know we've been going on for um, 45 minutes and uh or 40 minutes or whatever it is and it's we can talk for another couple of hours uh, if if we had the time but uh yeah, yeah. but that's interesting that's interesting i actually have a, a, a bad year as well i burst my eardrum years ago playing football so that's my right one so if we if we ever meet in the pub we'll have to sit in the right place so we can <laughs> we can talk to each other but you know what i mean if, if anybody if there are skeptics listening to this now they'll be oh yeah linda and andrea spent sunday afternoon planning this what I'm finding fascinating, both about the book that I mentioned and the fact that I bothered mentioning the um, ear, which which I don't talk about easily, and I certainly don't talk about it easily over Zoom because there's actually no need. If we if we went for a pint, I'd have to tell you straight away because if you sat on my wrong side, the conversation would be compromised. So one thing that I think is absolutely fascinating, and it happens to me all the time in coaching conversations, it goes somewhere you didn't think it would go. And that that for me is a massive revelation because the the way we ended up is not at all as predictable as what we might both have envisaged. Like I genuinely was teasing you when I said, oh, this is a lot about school. Mm -hmm. I could well have imagined that. And we've interacted around school and young people Mm -hmm. before. So I know that's a passion for for Mm you. Um, So there's lots of things that came up that are perhaps entirely predictable. And then there's that curveball at the end. I could not have seen that coming at the outset. And that's what I love about these conversations. When you find yourself in the space and there's no distractions, it grows differently. So it's a tribute to your conversation style is what I'm saying. Thanks very much. And that, I have all my questions written, but I only asked you about two of them because I just <laughs> wanted to go wherever the conversation was going to go. Um, but that's it, really. Linda Hara, thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate it. You're so welcome, Andre. It's been an absolute pleasure. Have a lovely day.
the bad encounter on the ground.